You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. What a vibrant-looking, motivated group of people. Oh my goodness. I am so thankful to get to be with you guys today. It's, it's great. I mean, it's fun to be with insiders and outsiders, people whose lives feel upside down at times. And man, what a good group of folks. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me in the reading of God's Word. Today we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 27. After this, he, this is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he left everything and he followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other sinners sitting at the table. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast like the disciples of the Pharisees frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You cannot make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and they will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must first be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine but says the old wine is good. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Well, I want to start with principle on the front end, our starting principle. Outsiders like Jesus. Irreligious people love Jesus. Sinners, people that you don't expect to be around Jesus, adore Jesus and want to be in his presence. That's a principle I want really clear on the front end. I mean, really think about that. Can you think about a religious figure today who, it doesn't matter who they come around, want to be with them? I think that list is probably pretty short. A lot of times religious people are the kind of folks that even other religious people don't want to be around. It's really hard to think about those that might want to be around a religious figure. 
Well, if think about your own life, there are people that you probably enjoy spending time with. They're comfortable. They're easy. You don't have to worry. You can just be. And maybe there are other folks that it's a little more difficult, right? It takes a little extra work to keep the conversation going. It's just, it's a little more difficult. We have people that we enjoy being around and some that it might take a little more work to be with. Well, here in this scene, in this setting, Jesus is uh, with a group where he faces questions. Seems like that's par for the course for Jesus. He's going to get shot all kinds of questions. Asked about this or asked about that. And there's a group there that probably may not even be sitting down. Maybe they're not even eating. They're very aware of who they're around. They're called the Pharisees. Are there watching? Now, I've got to stop and define the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a type of Jew. They're one group of Jews. They started probably a couple hundred years before Jesus. And they were really given to the Torah, really given to the law and studying God's law. They not only immersed themselves in the law of God, but also the oral tradition, the Mishnah. They wanted to not just avoid breaking a law, but not even break one of the oral laws. And you could think of the oral laws kind of like boundary markers, where you know, okay, we're getting close to the boundary. Like on a baseball diamond, you know, the track that's along the back near the home run fence. Once you hit that home run uh, track, you know, oh, I better be careful. I'm about to come in contact with the wall. Or in real estate, in places where there's not a fence, but there are boundary markers where you know where the fence is supposed to go. These folks, these Pharisees, were boundary markers. In fact, the root word of their name means to separate. They would separate themselves from evil people. They would separate themselves from actions that were not becoming of religious people. They would, at every turn, make space between them and things that are evil. And so this group comes forward and they ask Jesus the first question. Well, they don't really ask Jesus the first question. They ask his disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? So they don't ask Jesus directly. They lean over to his disciples, which means followers. These are his newbie group of followers. In fact, in Luke, this is the first time they're talked about as a group. So they're new. I mean, you've had trainees before at Walmart or Target, an associate in training. Or at a restaurant, you get the introduction of one waitstaff person and then another, and uh, he will be assisting me today. He's in training, right? So the Pharisees, the separatists, these elite religious people turn to the disciples and say, why do you guys eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does Jesus do this? Why do you not separate yourselves from others? Now, this is where you know the disciples are definitely newbies. They don't have an answer. Surprise, surprise. I mean, their mouths are gaping open. You know, they're looking around for some help. Maybe they even feel a little bit attacked, right? Because they're the newbies. A lot of them are sinners and tax collectors and untrained people 
And it's Jesus that steps in and interrupts and says, hey, it is not the healthy that need a sick, that need a doctor. It's the sick. The sick need a doctor. I have come so that sinners will be called to repentance. Now, this is what draws people to Jesus. I mean, they are drawn to someone that says, hey, I want to be with you. This is my mission, to be with those that are held captive to be with those that are bound up by the experiences that they've had that feel separated from other people. People that have a past that doesn't just trail along behind them, but it's right there in front where everyone can see who they are and what they are about. For those people that feel stuck, that's who Jesus came for, and that's who he wants to be with. Now, that's a legitimate answer. That is a great answer. He tells us what his ministry is all about. And it doesn't stop them from asking more questions, this time to Jesus directly. And they stick with the topic of food. They stay with that one for a bit. Why don't you stop eating, is what they say. Why don't you and your disciples fast from food? All right, got to define fasting. A lot of us know what that is. There have been times when you've probably had to fast maybe to get some medical blood work, maybe you've done it for uh, you know, a dietary reason. And here we're talking about a spiritual fast of separating yourself from food and water, food and drink, so that you can become closer to God. And, and Jesus just can't win, right? The first question is, why do you eat with these people? And then the next one is, why don't you stop eating? Why don't you fast? Both of them religious practices one about who one associates with, and the other a spiritual practice. Well, Jesus turns again. And we know that he is good with fasting. He's a practiced faster. He just came out of 40 days in the desert of fasting. But they didn't see that. That's the unseen part. That's himself in the desert. Now, what they see is this king who comes eating and drinking and partying, and it doesn't seem at all like the king that they might want to have. And they want to know, why are you this kind of a king who comes eating and drinking? And he gives the answer of a wedding. Do you abstain from the cake and from the drink and from the food at the weeks-long celebration of a wedding fast? No. You get into the party. There'll be a time for those things later, but that's not the time now. The the bride's here, the groom's here, the party is laid out. Let's party. Let's celebrate. The Pharisees don't know what time it is. They don't know that it's the time to celebrate and the time to party. And this is exactly why people sometimes hate religious folks. Because religious folks are often full of questions, full of challenges. They're often really obsessed with their own rules and making others follow their rules. And most people don't like to be around those kind of religious folks with many rules and enforcing their own rules. Now the Pharisees, they're practicing purity. They're doing things that are good, trying to separate themselves from evil, trying to set them, separate themselves from unvirtuous living. And there's a time and there is a place for that. But their approach 
to purity is purity by separation. And Jesus takes on a completely different approach to purity. His approach to purity is purity by association. Purity by being present with those who have no one to be present with them. Present with those that are pushed to the far reaches, that are on the outside. Those that have been thrust to the side and have no one to be present with them. And Jesus is present with them on their own turf. I mean, this is an example of what God does in Jesus. When we think about God coming as Jesus in the flesh, the incarnation, what we have depicted is God who is willing to connect with and be present with and in his creation. It's amazing. It's astounding to think about this kind of an approach to being the Son of God, being connected with this life. Well, let's see. Now, why is it again that we were having this party to begin with? You remember that this is a party that all these questions come at, these theological questions of Jesus. This is a party that's thrown by an outsider, by Levi the tax collector, who invites Jesus to come to his house. Jesus has just approached this tax collector, which we probably should define, because he's definitely an outsider. A tax collector is despised, especially in this time, because they were employees of the Roman Empire. They were in cahoots with Herod. They were quite often, in Matthew's case, or Levi's case, he's probably a toll booth operator. So he's probably franchised in to be able to collect money from folks, to be able to have this opportunity. And no one really likes tax collectors at all. Something of a scandal for Jesus to look at this sinner, this outsider, and say, come, come follow me. And he doesn't just invite him to be a follower. Levi becomes one of the inner circle, one of the inside. That's the kind of thing that makes religious people look sideways because he's not an establishment person. He's not someone that's qualified, that has the right reputation. Jesus didn't run around the high society of Galilee to find people to be his followers. He didn't find people that were the best trained. He chose a sinner. And if someone like Levi could come and be a part of the inner circle, if someone could receive this personal and direct invitation from Jesus, then anyone could. Jesus offers that invitation for anyone. And that's, that's shocking as much as it is exciting. Jesus is focused on the sinful and the reprobate, letting them know that they are children of God, drawing them closer to him so that they know that they are loved out of this behavior, out of this life, and into a life that is chock full of the kingdom of God. Now, if you're an outsider, this is a very great story. Because we feel like God is inviting us in. And the outsiders in the story are doing a better job than anyone else. 
Levi, in a matter of hours, is drawing people together to be in the presence of Jesus, not chasing them away. He is truly catching people. He's modeling a transformed life better than well-trained, pious, religious leaders. And as an, as an outsider, that, that makes us feel very good that we could be welcomed to the party and included in this community, a community that Jesus is creating. Because a lot of times we do feel on the outside because of our appearance, because of experiences that we've had, because of our background or what people assume about us when they look at our skin. And this may be more uncomfortable, but the internal trauma that we bear if we're a survivor of sexual abuse, we just feel like we're on the outside. If we have an unhealthy relationship with food, we feel like it's a secret so much to bear, and we feel on the outside. And yet in the church, among Christians, this is a place where Jesus is creating a community of people who have gone through what you've gone through. You know, this is amazing. It's amazing to be included in this group of people. Now, being on the inside, if we read this as an insider, the story can be a little more pointed, a bit more troubling, because we have to ask ourselves some difficult questions. Do I welcome outsiders? Do I eat with outsiders? Do I associate with people that are difficult? Am I around people that are unhealthy? Maybe that take a little bit more work to be with, that are inconvenient, that might even be at times a burden. Could the Pharisees, if they looked at me, accuse me with a straight face of the same, same things they accused Jesus of, of hanging around sinners and welcoming those who are on the outside? Would I be accused of this same kind of radical inclusion or at least just a welcome of this kind of people? Sometimes that's difficult because Christians, we sometimes have trouble even being decent to one another. We're not always that much fun. And sometimes outsiders look at us and they think, ah, I'm just not that type. I don't fit in there. That's not me. I can't be a Christian. Now, uh, if it makes you feel better, this is an attitude that I don't see at First Christian. I just don't see it. Folks, if you're new to First Christian or if you're checking us out, you need to know that your experiences are our experiences too. If you've been through it, if you have this such and such an experience or this kind of a past, trust me, it's here. We've been through it too. We are a group of people that are trying our best to follow Jesus. That is our simple mission. And it's one that we invite you to join with us in, following Jesus, just being present with this one everyone likes to be with. And we try as best as we can to do the things that Jesus did, even say these challenging things that Jesus said, and to be willing to, to go in the places that Jesus leads us taking us into new frontiers, places that might be comfortable for both insiders and outsiders. 
Well, in a story like this, I think these Pharisees, these separatists, kind of get a bad rap. And it shows up in the last few stories in a way that I think is helpful. Because it's easy for sometimes insiders or religious people to feel like they're on the outside. I mean, let's, let's be fair to the Pharisees. They are trying to follow God. They're trying to do what's right. They're trying to, to discern whether or not what Jesus is teaching is something they can incorporate into their life or whether it's something they should reject. They are honestly searching and seeking. And it's easy to forget that insiders are on the way too. We're learning our way. We don't have it all together. I love what one of you uh, shared with me a few weeks ago. Uh, this person said, you know, when people find out at work that I'm a Christian, they're surprised. They're surprised that I'm a Christian. They're surprised that I go to church. Okay, we've been there before. And so what he says is to the person, well, imagine how I'd be if I didn't go to church. <laughs> now, I love that. It's, it's real. It's self-deprecating. And it puts people at ease because it acknowledges that we're on the way. And I think if we had more Pharisees that had an, a response like that friend of mine, I think we'd be better off. Our message would be stronger and clearer because it would break down those walls and let people know that they too can be on this way. Jesus establishes a new order that's in words, but it's certainly in actions. And there are two little pictures that he gives that I want to leave us with today. And they're somewhat familiar to us, the, this parable of the new garment and the old garment. And it's kind of strange. Uh, it's, Jesus talks about a, 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 an old garment having a tear in it. Let's just say a jacket with a pocket ripped off. And so you do the obvious thing, right? You go out and you buy a new jacket and you tear the pocket off that jacket and you sew it on this one. No, it doesn't make any sense because then you've destroyed this new jacket that you just bought and you put this new fabric on an old worn out jacket. It doesn't make any sense at all. And then he gives one that's a bit more obscure about wineskins. Now these were leather skins that you would put wine in, new wine. And as that new leather would allow the wine to ferment, it would expand. Now, you would not ever put new wine into old used wineskins because they were already stretched. They were already, they'd already served their purpose. It causes them to crack and break. Now, we're not familiar with that kind of storage of wine, thank goodness. It's in bottles or boxes, right? But, it, but it's, it's confusing. It's obscure because then Jesus ends at the end where you think you get it. He's talking about New wine goes into new wineskins. Old wine comes from old wineskins. But then he says, we all know that old wine is best. And so I kind of pull out my hair and I think, all right, well, what are you trying to communicate, Jesus? Is it old or is it new that's better? Well, we know that new wine needs time to ferment. It needs its own kind of, in their case, leather skin bag that's new that can grow and adjust with them. But you can't mix new wine into the old wine skin because it will burst, it will break, 
And I think that what Jesus is doing is telling people, yes, old wine is good. That's what we want to drink. But if you spend all your time drinking the old wine, there will be no wine for the future. It just won't be there. There needs to be people with the wisdom to create new wine and new wineskins and prepare that next round for future generations. Again, I love this because Jesus infuses meaning for both the new and the old. That the old is not somehow necessarily always better. That there's a place for new to grow to that point of the old seasoned wine. Does that make sense? And that makes me think about, all right, what are the things that I do? What are the words that I say? The forms, the buildings, the curriculum, the structures that are old, that are good wine, but that have to give way because of the thought of the next generation of how we can prepare for who is coming. I heard just a few weeks ago, you know, a leader in Albuquerque talking about their plans for their church. And he said, you know, we're not just planning for those that are here now. We're planning for those in the future who will be here. And to me, that's someone that's thinking about both old wineskins that are very important. We want to break out that old wine, but also new wineskins of preparing for that next generation. And I love how Jesus does this, not privileging the new to the exclusion of the old and not dismissing the old in favor of the new, but showing how both, both are needed. You know, there's so many great things about a story like this. It's clear to me that Jesus probably was most known because of who he ate with. And a lot of times, separatist people or Pharisee people are known for eating people for dinner. They'll invite you over to just eat your lunch. But Jesus was not that way. He was one who welcomed all people to the table. His radical inclusion is an example for us. And his focus on the old and the new inspires us to think about how we might preserve not only what has come, but preserve what will be, to plan into the future. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us, for reaching out to us, when we are oftentimes unlovable and pretty stubborn. Father, would you break through and let us know that your love is meant to break down those barriers that we have. Barriers between us and you and barriers between us and anyone we might think of as other than us. Help us to be people, people that are so focused on loving you that we will, like Jesus, welcome people to our tables, whatever that looks like. We ask that you receive our worship and receive our lives as we offer them in Jesus' name. Amen.